0: Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 117 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Interesting guest this week. You know, I've been doing this podcast now for four years, and you think, you know, you've probably covered every topic and every cancer-related scenario. Uh, not so fast. This is a new one for me. I had the pleasure of speaking to Carol Motika. And two things unique about Carol. Number one, is she's the first guest that I've interviewed with the genetic syndrome known as JPS. So I'm going to let her explain what JPS means and the first guest that I've interviewed that's undergone a liver transplant. So two firsts for me, perhaps they're new for you as well. Join me now for my conversation with Carol Motika. Carol, welcome to We Have Cancer. Thank you so much, not only for joining me, but for initially reaching out to me on Instagram and saying, hey, I've got an interesting story to tell. And I know it took a little while for us to get to today and be able to connect things like surgeries uh, on my end got in the way. Right. (laughs) But thrilled to have you on the show. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. I look forward to our chat tonight and I look forward to uh, being able to share with you. So I'm excited too. I know hospitals can be a pain, but yay, yay for finally meeting up. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right, that's right. So I'm going to jump right in. You know, I've been doing this podcast for four years, and I'm coming up on eight years since I was first diagnosed, so I feel like I'm fairly knowledgeable about colon cancer and the different syndromes, mm-hmm. and when you hear the word syndrome, uh, the two that come to mind first and foremost is Lynch and then FAP. And then you threw three letters at me that I had never seen before, J-P-S. So please tell me what is J-P-S?
1: Yes. So unlike Lynch and unlike all the other syndromes that you hear of, it's not, I shouldn't say it's a fairly new one, but it's a a fairly uncommon syndrome. And it's called J-P-S stands for juvenile polyposis syndrome. And essentially what it is, is it's a genetic uh, mutation and- you know, to be honest, I it's the I, I don't know the number of the uh, de- 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 genetic coding specifically that allows you to inherit the 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 mutation. However, I can tell you what it it provides is an early disposition to things like polyps, GI tract cancers, and and all of those type of situations. And so, basically, what in my case JPS did is it caused. Early polyp. I, I'm am an early polyp producer, and so in my case, mm-hmm. a lot of people start producing polyps at a late a latent stage in their life. I am an exception to that rule because I am a an early polyp producer. So I produce multiple, multiple, multiple polyps. You know, in early in early stages in life. So. That's basically what, J- what JPS is. So, if it's caught early, and go
0: ahead, that's just what I was going to ask you. How was this discovered?
1: Certainly. So, the the tricky thing about JPS is it starts early, and so a lot of the screening processes that are done currently for colorectal situations like cancer are are later stage life screenings. JPS is a little bit more elusive when it comes to screening because it starts early. And so and then there are not a lot of symptoms because what begins as a polyp can can really stay kind of stagnant if you will for 10 to 12 to 15 years before it causes a a significant symptom. And that's what it did for me and and by the end of that 12 years I was already in a stage course stage 4 cancer situation. So how I was discovered to have jps and to have colon cancer was just a simple er visit because we were very at, we're outdoorsmen, we we love to hike and travel and we had been hiking the buckeye trail here in Ohio and I had been out I think it was a, a like a 20 mile day and I thought I had fallen, you know, in some uneasy ground and landed wrong and hit, hurt my shoulder. And so what what we initially thought was a really bad shoulder sprain turned into a much greater diagnosis with it, with it being colon cancer that had spread to my liver and so what had happened was the liver was essentially every time i breathed the diaphragm was rubbing on the liver and it was irritating causing the the pain to shoot up into my nerve endings up into my shoulder which which was the symptom wow. that's the symptom i had i had no other symptoms other than that
0: Okay. You are officially the first person that I've talked to whose symptoms came from shoulder pain. Wow. (laughs) My goodness. Who would have thought? And how long ago was this, Carol?
1: Three years, April 6th, 2016. It's called differentiated pain. So Uh right-sided problems are right-sided pains because of your nerve endings. Left-sided problems are Uh left-sided shoulder pains. So that's- that's where it was. Yes. And it was um, three years ago, April 6th, 2016. So,
0: And so when did they determine that this was the result of a genetic mutation?
1: Right. So we decided because of my age and because of my health to go directly to essential resources. We knew we were in a, a serious situation. And so we went to Cleveland Clinic. And Cleveland Clinic here in Ohio are the number one genetic researchers when it comes to colorectal, genetic colorectal cancers. And so we decided to go ahead and do the screening because we have four children and we wanted to allow ourselves to understand where this came from. And so we went ahead, because of their knowledge, we went ahead and did the screening right when I was diagnosed so that we could tackle you know, what could be a catastrophic situation for our family.
0: So with the J standing for juvenile, uh-huh. does that mean you probably have had these polyps since you were a child?
1: Not a child. So that's the kind of the, the kick with juvenile. Everybody assumes that because it's juvenile, you have them at at, at you know early five, six, seven and, and on, on up. It's not necessarily the age, but that you start producing them earlier because we all produce polyps. Mine are in JPS's case, you produce them yes, earlier but quicker. So it's, it's a more rapid process. So
0: I see. What was your immediate reaction when they uttered the words cancer?
1: (laughs) I don't know if you really want me to say my initial reaction. (laughs) Probably my initial, am I allowed to curse? (laughs) I mean, honestly, uh,
0: substitute a different honestly, word. Honestly, my
1: my um, initial reaction was
0: holy fudge, shiesta,
1: shysta, shysta, shysta. <laughs> Yeah, okay. um, holy right, fudge, right. holy fudge, holy fudge. Yeah, that was you know you. I think that like your, your your breath gets sucked away, and all of the things in life that are valuable just flash before you. I think your children and your family and your life and all things that you know are certain flash flash before you and this, certainly I went to my faith after that so
0: and so what did they initially prescribed as the treatment plan for you?
1: So my initial diagnosis was stage four colorectal cancer with metastatic cancer to the liver, both lobes. Right lobe was inundated with tumors, left lobe had four, and one lobe, one tumor sat um, directly on top of the hepatic artery, sort of like a balloon in a tree branch, if you will. My initial diagnosis was six to 11 months on chemotherapy. There was no way there was no surgical option. I was kind of like a, a fish out of the water. I, I didn't have a lot of hope. So we mm-hmm. began treatments on full, fof, full Fox Fury. And we decided to go at it with the big guns aggressively. My husband and I have always done that. We've always said we use every resource we can and we pray our way through it. And So we knew it was going to be rough, but we decided that was our only option. So, yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> and, in your note to me uh the other thing you know this is you know so many unique things about your story, Carol, sure, was I've never talked to anybody that's been affected by metastatic colorectal cancer that mentioned transplant as an option, sure, how did that come to be? How did that come to be for you? Yeah, so
1: I was really fortunate you know that the initial oncologist said. That you know, most of her patients didn't make it to surgery, and you know, I told her when she told me I had six to eleven months, I said, "Well, you're wrong, because you know, God's the only one that puts a stamp on my my foot for my expiration date, and I wouldn't allow that in." And so, right away, I'm a planner. I'm a Type A, you know, maniac personality, and Mm -hmm. I decided I needed to have some type of formative plan in place for myself, just to keep myself balanced and to keep myself, you know, just surrounded by good. And so I made them make a date for surgery. And um, I certainly didn't know if I was going to get there. And I told them they could make up any date they wanted, but I needed to have a goal. And so we scanned after my initial treatment was going to be 12 cycles of full Fox Fury and then a break. After six rounds, I had a response. They had, they had, I lost about 30% of my tumor burden at that point. And so we decided to go ahead cautiously, and we did six more. (laughs) We held hands through it, if you will, and it was a lot. But we were, I wasn't surprised, but my doctors were surprised that we had a full response. Some of my tumors were gone, and I actually became a candidate for resection at that point. Met some amazing surgeons. Wow. Yeah, they didn't give up hope. And so I went ahead and they planned a three-stage approach to my resection. And so we we went ahead. I'm I'm trying to be kind of abridged here, so it's it's really more complex, but we
0: Sure.
1: we did a three-stage approach. We the first surgery looked like removing the right lobe this with that done, we also went in and removed a few of the tumors on the left lobe and the hepatic Artery. My doctor also took that off and removed that as well, um, along with. I should should rewind a minute and going back to the first surgery, we did the we we took the colon out as well, and then fast forwarding through all of that, we ended up placing the hepatic artery infusion pump to treat whatever might be left in the left lobe, and ultimately, we cleared the lobe of all the cancer, but. About two months after the completion of the treatment, the six treatments of HAI infusion, my liver started to fail. And that is kind of where the beginning of the transplant option started. I was still NED, so the victory had been accomplished through defeating all of the cancer. And so I was faced with, you know, I was really in a precarious position. I didn't have cancer, but I was in liver failure. So that's when the liver transplant became an option.
0: And <laughs> keep going. <laughs> uh, keep okay,
1: keep elaborating. Yeah. So you know we we started out Dr. Quintini is my surgeon and and is an amazing human being, an amazing physician, and he you know I'm very very fortunate that I have this amazing surgical team in my corner. They just, you know, they work faithfully through what they do is just this amazing gift. And I'm fortunate to have been blessed blessed by them. They have always gone to bat for me. Dr. Quintini has always said, I'm, I'm three steps ahead of you, Carol, i three steps ahead of you, because he knows how type A yeah. I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> I say the worst thing for cancer patients is we're, we're Web MDs, you know. <laughs> oh, goodness. That's, a, yeah,
0: yeah. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. When I said keep going, what I really meant was, so what's the status of things right now?
1: Things are good. So I had my transplant via a donor who I met through church. He is a member of my congregation, and I had my transplant April 23rd, 2018, and I'm doing great. I had to stay in the hospital last week because I had some blood clots caused from another surgery I had to have after transplant. But boy, you know, I'm blessed. I have another day here. And so it's just a, it's just a simple thing to have to stay in the hospital for a few days. So,
0: so somebody's probably listening to this going, wait a minute. What? How did you meet your donor? (laughs) Don't people only get organs? When someone else passes away. So explain how that happened.
1: I know, right? It's so true. And everyone asks me that. So yeah, the really great thing about donor transplant and liver donor transplant is the liver can grow back. It hypertrophies. And so the great thing and the thing that has eluded us in the science community as of current is that we can take that lobe and separate it and allow it to hypertrophy in someone and replace what they've have that's failing with a portion of someone else's liver. And then the liver that the donor has can also hypertrophy to an adequate size to continue life for the donor as well. So it can, it can be done.
0: That's incredible, isn't it?
1: It truly yeah. is. Yeah.
0: Do they have to take the exact same precautions as any other organ donation in terms of you know, being very aggressive to prevent rejection and those kinds of things?
1: Absolutely. A lot of people ask me, you know, two things, you know, how did you, how did you become a can- candidate for transplant after you had cancer? And then they also asked me about, you know, the, the typical medicines and and how does that work? Because you already have a weak immune system from, you know, from your cancer diagnosis. So the, the re- way I became eligible is because I didn't have any cancer in my body. And there's a study that. was being done in Norway that Cleveland Clinic has embraced, the idea that they can save people's lives after a diagnosis by actually just removing an organ and replacing it with a new one. If the cancer is limited to the liver, or there are some cases where they will do removable METs to the lungs, but those are isolated. Right now, Cleveland's is specifically liver-isolated. And so that's how I became a candidate for the surgery itself. And then as far as the immunomeds and such afterwards, yes, I was treated like an absolutely uh, normal patient. Um, there were some extra precautions. I was changed to a special immunosuppressant called Everolimus. It is something that not all transplant patients take, but in an effort to pay attention and to be cautious to the effects that my chemo could, have, could be having or that any other potential cancers could be having the everolimus is a a little bit heavier on the the cancer drug the chemotherapy agent and a little bit lighter on the immunosuppression and with me being very healthy they monitor me very closely with labs every week and every 3 months i go for scans but they they see everything looking very well. So they're very comfortable giving me a low dose of the Zortress Everolimus instead of the other options. So that's really the only difference. So I'm a typical liver transplant patient.
0: <laughs> wow. So did your ter- church do some sort of a blood drive to figure out if there was a possible match for you? Is that how this came to be?
1: No, actually. So what, what really happened was So we live in a super small town, a beautiful little town in Northwest Ohio, and I have been the youth director at my church for the past 12 years, and my pastor came to me and asked me if he would be, if I would be okay with putting a little blurb in the Sunday bulletin that said that, you know, people knew of my story and, and of course, knew my plight. And he felt that it was a really important thing to put it out there in, into the congregation. And I said to him, well, that, that's that's fine. But I don't know that, you know, in the whole giving thing, I don't know that, you know, we give a lot of things, but I'm not sure if organs are you know, something that people necessarily are... <laughs> okay with, you know, handing out via the church bulletin. But Jason, when he saw the, the note that was in the church bulletin, he knew right then and there that it was to be him that would be my donor. So, yeah.
0: How has that changed your relationship with him? That's gotta be, that's fascinating to me.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: to know that, you know, somebody that because of their selfless generosity, you're still, you're still here.
1: I know, you know, I can say thank you because those are the two words, you know, that are, are significant of being thankful. But I think that it's more of a how I live my life, you know, to just glorify the Lord and glorify what he's done and how he's worked in, in Jason and I's lives together. Jason and I didn't know each other well. We sat near each other in church like good Lutherans in our reserved seats. But, you know, the greatest thing that we could have ever asked for – out of everything was a beautiful new relationship. He's like my big brother. I'm from a very small family and he has this huge family and I'm like their little sister. Now they, you know, they feel genetic. They always tease me and say, well, you're genetically linked to us now. So you're stuck. (laughs) Stephanie, his wife, who is an amazing human being, you know, who just says, sure, give another lady your your liver, you know, no big deal. We'll, We'll figure it out. We've become just great friends. We have a great relationship. We hang out. We do Christmas together. We're going on a vacation this summer. So, you know, he's he's essentially like my big brother. He looks after me. So. so
0: How has this whole process changed you, Carol?
1: Wow. I think it's softened me. I think it's really made me really, I guess, going back to that diagnosis day, you know, I guess it's really made me appreciate things and people and feelings and I guess life as a whole, it's made me search more for what is right and true and to listen better and to just overhaul, give more time to the things that are so valuable and to understand that truly, you know, God's promise to us is, is not tomorrow and it never has been. And I kind of had that over on the side in my life. And I guess the most important thing it's done to me is it's really made me reflect on the idea of my life has never changed. His promise has never shifted. It's just how I evaluate that promise to me. And so it's, it's just, it's made me live day to day, especially tenderly, I would say, and just appreciate every moment and take everything in. So yeah.
0: Beautifully said. Thank you. Said.
1: Thank you.
0: So I want to go back, you know, where your doctor said I'm three steps ahead of you. Yeah. <laughs> Probably if you hadn't pushed him, he would have been three steps behind you. Where did, not everybody, Carol, is comfortable advocating and pushing their doctors like you've shared. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those that may be listening, that might have squirmed a little when you talked about that and said, "Ooh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm one of these people that just does what my doctor says without question." Mm-hmm. Any words of advice to help folks like that?
1: Sure. I mean, certainly, there's a balance. I, th- I think first and foremost, you have to have a team you trust. I felt in my heart immediately when I met Dr. Quintini before I even knew who he was. You know, a lot of people tell me when they ask me, my physician is I, I tell them Dr. Hashimoto and Dr. Quintini and Dr. Iseho, And they're like, do you know, they're, they're world-class physicians. To me, they're just wonderful human beings. Yes, they are that too. But to me, they, they, they were my team and I felt comfortable enough with them. I think it's very important to, to that relationship be central and everybody be together. And if you don't feel comfortable you can't second guess your gut, you know, you have to go with what your gut tells you. And, and then after you've established that, that team, you really have to just be diligent. And I never settle. I I was never a settler for that. And, and, you know, kind of the squeaky wheel (laughs) gets the grease, if you will. I was always on the phone, you know, asking a question or sending an email. And I think I drove him crazy. I made Dr. Quintini swear to me all the time. (laughs) But I I truly think that that's how we have to go about this disease. We can't just sit back and just take our doctor's advice. We We do have to trust them unequivocally sure. But I think we also on the side have to bring things to their attention and we have to get on podcasts and we have to to research and we have to get involved in communities for cancer research and for colon cancer research so that we can equip ourselves with tools to go back and ask our doctors and say, Hey, I heard of this. What do you know about it? I've heard of a liver transplant. Uh, you know, is that an option for me? Certainly it's not the first option. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to ever encourage anybody to say, yeah, just run out and just put a new liver in. It's not, it's not easy like that. I'm kind of an anomaly, I think there, but I think that ultimately we have to ask those questions and we shouldn't be afraid or intimidated. It's our lives. It's our lives.
0: And that, uh, that approach has certainly uh, benefited you. So what a really interesting story. And I and I really admire, Carol, just to your outlook on life and, and how you view the world. I, I know that that has played a factor in how you've been able to maneuver through all these challenges for the last three years. And I just wish you mm-hmm. many more years of, of good health and, and good things for you and your family. And I'm so appreciative that you reached out to me yeah. uh, offering to share, to share your story. Thank you. Um, you know, you've, you've taught me a few yes. things, which is great because oh. <laughs> I, I love to, you know, uh, expand my horizons and, and learn because, you know, someday somebody may pop up with a question or a situation and... I might know an answer, and if not, I know where to direct them, <laughs> who to connect them to.
1: Yeah, and that's what it's all about. That's a hundred percent. That's what it's all about. Is again, back going back to advocacy. Is it, that's what it's about. You know, you heard that, and you that seed was planted somewhere, and and you can take it to your physicians and that's what our job is and and you know really the advocacy starts starts here and it starts with us but it the greatest thing is it leads to more research and more advancements and more opportunities for physicians to learn more and to ultimately win this thing and you know with my kids having jps they're not going to have to they're not going to have to suffer like i did because People have done research and people have advocated for JPS. And now, my children who are diagnosed with the same genetic coding I have get to have colonoscopies every year and get to have their polyps removed before they even become cancerous. And why? It's because somebody advocated for those things whenever and promoted things like this, and which allowed the ability for research and advancements in the world. So that's why we're here. And that's why people are living longer. And that's why pe- this is becoming more of a manageable chronic disease than a death Absolutely. sentence like it was.
0: Absolutely. Eight years for me. I'm right there with you. <laughs> you know, yeah. let's, let's, go, let's, let's, go, for, for let's go for the chronic <laughs> disease approach. That would be fine by me. So, right on. <laughs> where, where can people find you online if they wanted to connect with you, maybe ask you a question? I know you're on Instagram. Yep. And that's at Sweet Caroline, which is spelled S W T C A R E L <laughs> I N E. And if you're driving or on a treadmill right now, don't worry about it. You can just go to wehavecancershow.com <laughs> and it'll be in there. Yep under uh, Carol's smiling face, so you can get that there. Anywhere else they can find you online besides, besides Instagram?
1: Sure. I'm on Facebook, and I'm also a part of the Colon Town experience, and I am actually an administrator of Transplantation Station. If you Facebook friend me and ask me, I will be more than willing to allow you to be a member of our group so that we do, we do several different lives. We talk about the different ways that Transplanting is becoming something of, a, of an interest to people with colon cancer. So you know you can find me there. You know I'm open. I have a, a new non for profit called Bloom that we're working with, and that's on Facebook as well. You can find it Bloom period. I'm very okay. easily locatable. Sure, because that's what i for. And I'm I'll have the for. links
0: to all this in the show notes. Yeah, uh, for the, for today's episode on the website at wehavecancershow.com. dot Perfect. Well, Carol, I, again, I wish you all the best. Thank you for making time to share your story. And I hope our paths cross someday in the future. I really do. Yes.
1: I'll be at the uh, March 17th, 19th call on Congress. Oh, too, I was there last so year, but I can't that, make so. it
0: this year. So I'm sorry. I won't oh, be able shoot. to make it. But yeah. uh, we'll find a way some, somehow. Yes. But Let's do that. All the, all the best to you. Be well.
1: Thank you, Lee. You too.
0: The Colon Cancer Coalition has a number of exciting events taking place across the country. Let's get right to the list, and let's start with the Get Your Rear in Gear 5K Run Walk and Kids Fun Run events. There's a number of them taking place across the country. Let me run through the list, and there's several coming up this Saturday, March the 9th. So here we go. Tulsa, Oklahoma at Guthrie Green, Winston-Salem, North Carolina at Quarry Park, Nashville, Tennessee at Richland Creek Greenway. All taking place this Saturday, March the 9th. Coming up on Tuesday, March 12th, for our friends around St. Paul, Minnesota, and the Twin Cities, is a wonderful event recognizing all the businesses that are lighting up blue in recognition of Colon Cancer Awareness Month. And this is the Minnesota Blue Reception. It is taking place at Como Park Zoo and Conservatory Visitor Center. Again, that's coming up on Tuesday, March the 12th. That is at Bullard Rainforest Auditorium in the Como Park Zoo new and conservatory visitor center coming up on March 23rd for our NBA basketball fans, fans of the Portland trailblazers. They are having colon cancer awareness night during their game against the Detroit Pistons again on Saturday, March 23rd coming up on Sunday, March 24th in Philadelphia at the Memorial hall. Please touch museum is the get your rear in gear, four mile run, two mile walk and kids fun run on March 27th. That is a Wednesday night for our friends in Duluth, Minnesota, is Beers for Rears, a community fundraising benefit The Colon Cancer Coalition. That's taking place at Bent Paddle Brewing Company Tap Room in Duluth, Minnesota. On Saturday, March 30th is the Get Your Rear in Gear event taking place at two locations in North Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina, Independence Park and Asheville, North Carolina, at Carrier Park shelter. And on Sunday, March 31st is a virtual run walk event for our friends in Baton Rouge and really anywhere you want to be. Do a 5K on your own time and in your own way between now and March 31st. Share the information online, and this is a great opportunity to fundraise for the Colon Cancer Coalition in your own community. Also on March 31st is the Jeepers Against Colon Cancer event for our friends in Export, Pennsylvania. This is taking place at Rick's Sports Bar and Grill on William Penn Highway for information on these and all of the other colon cancer coalition events coming up visit their colon cancer coalition website at coloncancercoalitionorg forward slash events thank you for listening to we have cancer and thank you to our sponsor the colon cancer coalition for your support you can subscribe to we have cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.